So, see, Peter, you can treat me badly, uh, Will, but Peter Honorati, you just don't make him hang around. I, I'm going to blame it all on my daughter, as I think she would want me to do. She's 16, so what can I say? <laughs> hey, little kid. Good to see you. Oh, there he is. Peter, Peter, Honorati. I wish I could sing like that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> How you doing, Peter? I'm just happy to be here. You know, it's been we've been talking about when did when did we when did we meet? Was it that that those readings that that was it years ago? I, it's, I'm thinking it's probably 15 years ago. Yeah. Oh, at least at least. But didn't didn't we play cards at Norby Walters once too? Uh, yeah, at least once. That's right. Yeah. Yes. That's right. That's the that's the cool thing. That's that's the thing that Will should know about. <laughs> right, that is good. And and this thing is that people confuse me with Peter all the time. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I can see why. It's obvious. Actually, uh, yeah. I mean, Fatal Attraction was just on, and I was like, oh, I didn't I didn't get a residual. <laughs> 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 yeah, same thing with me with Cop Rock. I'm mean, saying, you know, that used to put me through college. Listen, you're more qualified for cop rock than I was. You, you're a singer. <laughs> well, anyway, good to see you. I'm sure poker. I remember at Norby's, and uh, but I think tell me if I'm wrong. That Scott Sedita, casting Greg now he's a, a teacher, did those one act plays that we were involved with years ago. Am I wrong about that? I'm. I, I don't remember that. I remember the one act plays. I don't remember that. I remember us meeting at a casting office on Sepulveda yeah. um, right off the freeway for the first time. And then Norby's after that. Um, and we kept saying, let's do something together. <laughs> 15 years. You're welcome. Uh, and Will, this, this, this guy, Norby Walters, was um, he was originally a, a, a nightclub owner like in Queens. Manager. And then he became... Uh, a, a manager for uh, uh, musical groups and stuff like he had cool in a gang hmm. he had a whole bunch of well he ended up having this star-studded poker game every wednesday night and i didn't get invited till i did a movie with charlie durning and charlie was one of the irregulars you know yeah. so I, I don't know i mean Stuart and i must play twice at least together but but I don't know how many times he went, but I, I don't know how to play cards and I'm not a gambler, but you could lose a hundred bucks. And it was like, it was like a ticket. I mean, I played with Sid Caesar, uh, Mel Torme, uh, 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 Jerry Vale, uh, uh, Harvey Corman. I mean, oh, it was amazing. And the thing was Stuart and I, that we, we begged out of one hand and just stood on the balcony of Norby's apartment and looked at each other and went, Holy shit, that's <laughs> who we're playing cards with. It's astounding. Really, I mean, the old timers, I mean, Peter's right. You know, and I remember Rod Steiger across the table, Milton Burroughs, yes. Caesar. Yes, oh, yes, Sid Caesar too. Uh, and Rod Steiger wanted to fight me. For real? <laughs> yeah. For real? Yeah, he got pissed off at me for something, you know. And the first game I played at, Bill Macy was there, and we had just done a pilot together. And um, it was seven card stud. It always you know? was. And, and so I, I passed and then the betting came around to me and said, you know, and I said, so I can't raise now. And Bill Macy goes, no, you can't raise, you can't. And, and Norby goes in some Yiddish thing, he goes, Bill, and I said, Norby, don't worry. If he pisses me off, I'll kick his ass. He goes, see, he'll kick my ass. You know, it was just amazing. Sid Caesar, one night Sid Caesar was dealing, you know, with seven cards stud and the second up card, which is the fourth card, I think. You got to call out the possible combinations for each player, right? So Harvey Corman is sitting like th two away from Sid Caesar. And he goes, Sid goes like this, possible straight, possible flush. Oops. And Harvey Corman goes, oh, does 20 minutes on oops, you know? <laughs> okay, fun evenings. 
like I saw ask you guys your uh, respective origin stories. How did you uh, each find your way into acting in the first place? Go, Stu. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I was always kind of a kind of a hammy guy when I was a kid in front of my family. Uh, there was no there was no theater in, in high school for me because the auditorium collapsed. So there was nothing. There was no programs. Uh, but I, I signed up from to go to be a psychology major in, uh, in college. But I knew I wanted to do it. I just knew that I wanted to be an actor when I walked across that dark, lonely, scary campus to audition for the first play. I, I knew I was hooked. It was it. It was over. And I, you know, there was no drama major at my college. So it was Columbia. Had, you went to Columbia, right? Well, Columbia graduate school, but but this was oh. Dickinson undergraduate. And oh. it was a small school. There was only five drama programs. I know Dickinson. Do you? Shit, I went to Lycoming College undergraduate. Yeah. But Dickinson, you know, so I became an English major, did every play I could, and and uh, I knew I was hooked. That's my origin story. I mean, I just, I fell in love with uh, the theater, my teacher, Dave Brubaker, and, uh, and he was my friend and director and teacher for until he died. And that's what happened to me. So I just went and rolled on from there. Jeez. You I, have no, I have no origins. <laughs> <laughs> Your origins are a tube actor. Here's a test tube actor. <laughs> I am a test tube actor. No, I, I I was in the business world for 12 years. I have an MBA. I was an advertising publishing executive on Park Avenue in New York. Wow. Um, I was challenged by an old girlfriend uh, to take a class, a one night stand class in comedy in New York from an entity called the Network for Learning, which taught you in all different little shitholes in New York, taught you everything from how to take care of your feet to stand up comedy. And in this class was uh, a group of people who it was improvisation. So um, I, I, you know, I, I took the one night stand class and they said, you know, you should do, I said, I'm not, I'm not an actor, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm a marketing executive. I got an MBA in marketing. My, my, what's my father going to do to me if I quit and try acting? So, and, and before that, I worked for Ford Motor Company, International Division. So I had 12 years in the business world. Um, my last job, I was director of marketing and research for McCall's Magazines, if you remember McCall's and yeah. Red Bull, yeah. Seven Sisters. Um, I had some of my research published in Advertising Age, and I, uh, it, it turned into a big fight with my boss about what I was worth. And I mean, we were friends. We had a share in a house in the Hamptons, all that yuppie shit. Uh, I worked with 15 women. Two were, were my superiors. 13 were my subordinates. I got more penis birthday cakes than you can imagine, <laughs> you know. And so she started to make my life miserable. She realigned my job description. And my then girlfriend, who was a starving actress, now wife, um, said, I, I think you could be an actor. So with a little bit, I, I, I stayed with the improv group and was performing just around the city. And uh, so I walked in and, and, and I, I said to my boss, you can't fire me. My work is too good. So I'll tell you what, um, I never collected unemployment. You make it so I can collect unemployment and I'll leave. She said, deal. I left them with a 200 page research document that all they had to do was update it. And I I checked into a, a crash course in commercials from Bob Collier. Um, I don't know if you remember him in New York, Stu, but he was remember. like a second banana. He was like an Ed McMahon. He was a recovering alcoholic. He had this commercial course. And, uh, and within a week, I was on hold for a national commercial. And um, with, you know, within a year or so, I was making more in commercials than I did as a Park Avenue marketing executive. Wow. So, so I thought that was probably a good direction to go for a little while. But you have to remember, this is like 1986. And the stereotypes that they were casting commercials uh, for were Tony Danza, Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, and Bruce Willis. Piece of each. Yeah, <laughs> my God. That's astounding. Yes. <laughs> wow. that's what they were looking for yeah so so that's that i mean that's how i got into it my my, my 
my wife said, I think you could be a, an actor. And I said, oh, yeah, so I can have four jobs and starve like you. And when I took the uh, I took the ice pack off my eye, I said, OK, I'll try it. <laughs> and the rest is history, my friend. Well, <laughs> I, you know what? I want to say I, I was lucky, but I, I, I kind of define luck as uh, preparedness meeting opportunity, you know, um, and all the training I had was just improv. It was, I, I, I never really had any good formal training, you know, so uh, I got it on the job, you know. Yeah, it's just too bad you, you, you never worked after that. No, it was, you know. <laughs> I, I ran I, out of room on my on my computer looking at, at Peter's IMDb page. Oh, I mean, look who's talking. <laughs> 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 look who's talking. I looked at your IMDb page too, and I was like, geez, you know. Well, Peter, I will say that you're actually the second Peter I've interviewed from the film Firehouse. Oh, my God. I interviewed uh, Peter McKenzie a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Stu, this, uh, when I did Firehouse, I was still working at McCall's. Oh, I, I took a couple days off. It was this low-budget, independent film, Stu. It was a tits-and-ass movie. And, um, and actually, what's her name? Uh, uh, she became uh, Chaz Palminteri's wife. Uh, uh, she was the lead girl in it. Uh, but here's a great story. Years later, I was in Canada doing a movie and I get a call from my managers. They said, somebody's writing a biography on Julia um, uh, Roberts and wants to talk to you. And I said, well, I, wants to talk to me, you know? And so I said, well, go ahead, give her my, give her my number. So they called me in Canada and said, hey, do you know that the first time Julia Roberts ever appeared on camera was on your arm in Firehouse? <laughs> she had no lines or anything like that, right? And they said, do you remember anything about the movie? I said, well, yeah. I said, I, I don't remember. I, I remember, but there was two beautiful women on my arm. And, you know, I remember the one that was taller than me, of course. And... Uh, I think I turned to her and said, hey, I work at McCall's Magazine. You'd be really great at ad sales. <laughs> <laughs> and that ended up in the book, actually. <laughs> I was right. She sold a lot of ads since then. <laughs> well, Stuart, how did you find your way into uh, San Pedro Bay Beach Bottoms? Because that was your, your, was it more or less your big break? No, it was my big break, but it was the first thing I did in California. Well, yeah. Six or one. <laughs> you know, I don't need, well, I, I was in New York. I was doing theater and, uh, and I was doing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat uh, at the Brooklyn Academy. And I guess the word went out. They needed, you're not going to believe it, some uh, uh, fat, uh, funny guy. Uh, the hell so, yeah. And I, I, I don't know why they, but some agent submitted me. I don't even remember his name. He wasn't. He was not a good agent for me because he wasn't a Hollywood agent. He was a New York agent. So he didn't know anything about, you know, negotiating contracts in Hollywood. But he submitted my name, which meant I had to go with him. <laughs> and I got the, and I auditioned for the San Pedro Beach Bunk, which was Aaron Spelling's first and last attempt at <laughs> our hour-long comedy. And I got that job. And, and, and that's, that's, how, that's how that happened. Uh, and, and from there... You know, like Peter knows, you, you work, you meet people, it, it work breeds work and relationships breed relationships. And because of that, and certain relations I've had with a producer named Michael Jacobs, who became, you know, Michael Jacobs, he does a lot of sitcom, Girl Meets World, Boy Meets yeah. World, yeah. Dinosaurs, he produced Dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, because of that relationship, any number of things happened that led to my iconic uh, fame that I'm happy to, I'm, I have no finish for that. <laughs> that's that's how the San Pedro Beach Buns happened. It came from a play. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, and I'm I'm very grateful to it. it. Got me out to California. I will say, actually, I guess the real big break would have probably would have been not necessarily the news, at least in terms of getting to you into a mass audience. Right. In that was that that was uh, again that came from Michael Jacobs in a funny way. <laughs> I mean, because Michael Jacobs remembered me from the audition for the San Pedro Beach Bums. He auditioned as an actor 
It's a long story. Just stop me if you're if you're sleepy. Uh, he auditioned for the actor, and he rem- then he became a producer. He remembered me, and he put me in a show called No Soap Radio, which yeah. lasted about five episodes. Yeah. You probably know. Peter might not. One of the writers on that show was Ron Richards, who I happened to see at a screening, and he said, "We're doing this thing called Not Necessarily News on Cable." I said, "What's cable?" Because cable, <laughs> you know. But there was, you know. So I said, "You want to audition for it?" I said, "Yeah, I auditioned, and I got that." And in a funny way, it all came down to Michael Jacobs remembering me, you know, from the from the 1970 something audition for the San Pedro Beach Bums. <laughs> and you're not necessarily, I'm not not that I want to go on about that, but it started out as a, as you know, commando movie. I mean, we our first dressing room was the was the men's room at the Shell Station in Simi Valley. <laughs> and, the location manager, and the location manager says, please buy gas so they let us stay. I mean, girls were changing clothes behind open car doors. And I mean, it was just, it was, it was tough, you know. And and when cable, when cable was just in its infancy. And then the NCA, the National Cable Television Association, became a little more powerful and started to attract better people. And then not the news became, you know, you know, uh, better. But uh, that's it. Not necessarily the news from uh, from Michael Jacobs. In the San Pedro Beach Bones, go figure. Wow. But enough about me. <laughs> so, Peter, what, what, what would you? Of, what part of Philly did you grow up in, Stu? Uh, West Philly. Well, I think my parents called a strawberry mansion, it was Winfield. It was near uh, Fairmount Park, right bang against Fairmount Park. Uh, most my of my friends, huh? Yeah. My, my relatives, relatives lived yeah. in uh, near uh, Rittenhouse Square. Okay. My aunt and uncle, we used to go down there all the time. I, I, I lived in Rittenhouse Square every Friday. I just used to play with the animals and the, the metal statues. Yeah, we I love it. We might have seen each other on the beach in Wildwood one summer. Nah, that ain't, that, that ain't me. If I had your figure, I'd be on the beach. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a beach guy. <laughs> Most of my friends from Philly are from the Northeast. You know, uh, Topman yeah. Avenue, uh, um, that whole area up there. And, and uh and then Levittown, Bristol, all the guys that I went to college with are all, all know, from there. Yeah. I think my parents are buried in some cemetery up there in Northeast Philly. I don't know. That's, yeah. That's as close as I ever want to come for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. Well, Peter, with you, uh, what would you say was your first moment where you felt like you had formally become a working actor once you got through with the commercials? Um. Well, I, I would say it was, it was Kate and Allie. Uh, I, the last season of Kate and Allie, um, <laughs> I, I got the role. It was between me and Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it was funny because, I mean, I, I had done a couple callbacks and Jeanette and I had just gotten married and where I was waiting to go on my honeymoon and I said, well, screw this, you know, I'm, I'm going to go on my honeymoon. And, uh, and when we came back, I mean, you know, they offered me the role. And like I said, it was the last season and I don't know, you know, sitcoms and well, most shows actually, when they go on for a while, uh, camps develop, uh, the stars develop into different camps and things like that. And, there's sometimes a riff here and there. Uh, so it was a odd set to come on to, but Susan St. James was wonderful to me. Um, but w- walking into the Ed Sullivan Theater uh, and, and doing that show in front of an audience in the Ed Sullivan Theater was when I felt like, oh, holy shit, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, this is something I could do, you know? And, yeah. uh, and then Susan took me up, to her dressing room one time she said my dressing room was elvis's dressing room and jane's dressing room was the beatles dressing room you know and so that's when stuff started to land on me and then at the end of every hiatus i mean it was only two because it was it was half a season yeah. all the techies would meet on what used to be the end of the proscenium uh in the ed sullivan theater and give a big speech about what happened because the Ed Sullivan Theater at one time was never dark. It had the Jackie Gleason show. It had uh, 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 Gary Moore. I think it was Two Truth or Consequences. It had the Ed Sullivan show. It was never dark, you know. And then we'd go on this little journey down underneath the bowels of the theater and come up the back door of McGee's Pub, 
and there was a black velvet painting of Gary Moore. <laughs> and everybody said that Gleason used to go down in the middle of a show, come up and take a pop and come back, you know? And I went, yeah, yeah, this is this is a world I could hang out in, <laughs> you know? But I think that, that was when I felt like um, that I, I, I might be making a good career choice. I, when I felt like I was a, bonafide actor is sort of like with Stuart when I found a mentor in in Stephen Bochco who you know when he cast me in Cop Rock my character was not supposed to be a regular w once the pilot aired <clears throat> ABC said no you, you need this character so they gave me a regular I was supposed to do four episodes sing a love song to my gun and blow my head off <laughs> And I, I thought, what a great way to go out of television if you want to be a feature actor, right? Uh, and then, of course, you know, Cop Rock was, you know, Stephen's biggest flop. And uh, and then I went right on the next year to um, to Civil Wars with Mariel Hemingway. So that's kind of when I felt like, you know, moving out here, considering myself an actor and looking forward towards a career in acting was a good idea. I didn't have to go back to my MBA at that point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you don't hear a lot of actors saying, I'm going to fall back on my MBA. You, you, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you know, and it's a, actually, you know, sometimes, you know, when I coach people, even accomplished actors, because, because I don't have any training. A lot of actors have wonderful training from whatever it is, HB Studios or, or, uh, whatever, you know, they funnel their work through this regimen that they've been taught. So because I don't have any anything going on like that, there are things that I think of that, that they don't think of, you know, and and it was a blessing to me to come into acting later in life because, you know, 12 years in the business world, I ended up playing for the next 20 years, the person that I was. Uh, rather than having to study that person, or I, that's I lived at parity with those people, uh, you know, and uh, so and and I was insulated too. It, it's kind of unfair. I'd walk into an audition and I'd want it just as bad as anybody else, but I didn't need it because I loved advertising and I would have gone back to it in a heartbeat, if, you know, if this didn't work out, you know. Right, I'm going to stop questions. I've been asking everybody that's had good results. Uh, who was the first uh, actor that you worked with where you had to fight the urge to turn into a fanboy? Ooh. Stu? Well, that's, that's mostly on, on stage back, back in New York. I, I did the Three Sisters with Ellen Burstyn and uh, Tove Felchew and uh, Rosemary Harris. Wow. Barney Hughes, Rene Bergenois. Uh, it, it goes with Margaret Hamilton. I mean, there were, oh, wow. you know, it was a, it was a star-studded uh, cast, and it, it's like the poker game, only better. You know, yeah. you, you, you watch you watching Ellen Burstyn and Rosemary Harris, you know, work, or you know, Austin Pendleton was. In, I mean, it was just an incredible cast, and I was, you know, I was enamored of. I, I, I've always been starstruck. I mean, the, when I the first job I got was at Fox. For the for the San Pedro Beach ones, when we had lunch, I made my friends let me sit in a, a chair to face the door, so I could watch stars come in. I mean, I was I've always been you know enamored of, of celebrities. It's you know right. I'm not proud of it. I'm just that's the way it is. And similarly, I will never see a character actor who may or be not be recognizable to people. I will never, if possible, just go up to him and say I love your work because I know I would like that to happen to me. And I know, you know, a lot of people don't, wouldn't know those people. I know them because I'm in the business. Yeah. But, you know, I, every, every actor at every, at every level, level uh, I'm, uh, but especially those, those people in the, in the Three Sisters. That was the first time when I walked on stage for my first rehearsal day and I was late because I was replaced an actor. I, I was terrified. I mean, it was like stepping I, I can't even describe it. It was in front of these people were sitting around and I come on, you know, drunk, but you know, and these, I'm, and these people are looking at me and I'm I, literally, it, it was one of the most frightening things professionally that I'd ever done. Uh, because, and you just have to take a deep breath 
and you just got to go out and do it and have a, whatever confidence you have as you in your young self to do it. But those people were, uh, I mean, talk about fanboys. Yes, I was fans of those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, you know, um, well, I, when I was at Fox one day. This wasn't an actor, but I, I'll give you the actor after. Sure. But um, we were we were walking to lunch for, for, for cop on Cop Rock, and you know how the uh, the uh, walkway sort of separates. It goes in the main entrance, and then the other entrance goes in through the gift shop into the private dining room. Well, just past that uh, fork in the walkway was Mel Brooks, you know. Wow. And so I'm walking with Jimmy McDaniels and Bill Thomas, and I said, I said Mel Brooks. Let's go that way. I smell Brooks, right? <laughs> so we walk by, and Mel Brooks is standing there like this, and we're looking out of the side of our eyes, straight. And he goes, "Mel Brooks, fellas, very big name, very big name." <laughs> and, and Jimmy McDaniel's goes, "Blank, Mel Blank." He goes, "No, no, no, Blank is dead. Brooks, Brooks." That's funny. So, That's funny. <laughs> so I, yeah, I Mel Brooks. Yeah, Mel Brooks is. Uh, he, he's. Did you, you got to work with him, didn't you? I worked with Mr. Brooks and he made us call him Mr. Brooks. No, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> three times. Uh, yeah. He, he was, I was, a, he, he did uh, Life Stinks. Uh, he produced, directed, and wrote it. So he had a, yeah. an awful lot on his plate. Yeah. Then he put, his company put me in a movie called The Vagrant, which he produced. Right. And then I did a guest spot on uh, Mad About You when he had a, he had a recurring role as Uncle Something. <laughs> And I was a teacher and he was going back to school to learn something. So I got a chance to, to play with him. I remember, I don't know, in the Fox lot again, after, after life's things, he was sitting with Miss, Miss Bancroft, who that, that's another treat to get to know her, to get to have met her bet, yeah. and my wife, you know, we, we were at the rap party of life stinks and, and Joy and I go up to Ann Bancroft and say, oh, we love you. And she said, how many times did you see the graduate? And I said, well, the graduate, the, the graduate was great, but we saw you in Duet for One in New York. And her eyes, it was a play, it was a two-person play, Max von Sydow and her, oh. she had a must, must, multiple sclerosis victim. And we said, yeah, graduate, but you were unbelievable in that play. And that got her attention. You know, that got her attention. Yeah. But yeah. those two, you, you know, but I knew they were sitting in the Fox and I just went up. I saw him having lunch and I just sat down because I knew he knew me and I wasn't was going to slap me. And I yeah. just took a fork and I started eating off his plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he's, he's something, man. He was, yeah. He so is, for me, for me, for an actor was when was two o'clock in the morning when I sat in the car on Goodfellas, my first movie. And De Niro gets in the car and he goes, I do it. I'm Bobby De Niro. I go, yeah, I know. He goes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's an icon man there's... well you know and 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 actually it was a little when, when i had the callback here's a funny story is when i had the callback for goodfellas was when i you know was first starstruck with scorsese in the room um i was we had just filmed the last episode of kate and Allie in new york and we jeanette and i had already moved out here in, in to la and she was pregnant with our first son uh, Sebastiano and uh, Sonny. And um, so I was flying back and forth to finish. So we get done Thursday night filming in Kate and Alley. And I got a 2.30 flight out of JFK for Sonny's birth. He's due that Monday. It was St. Patrick's Day, uh, a Friday. And I get a call back for Scorsese and Rockefeller Center, right? So now I call Jeanette, I go, I got a call back for Scorsese. I got to go, right? If, you know, <laughs> she said, yeah, go. So um, at that time, what uh, Scorsese was hiring for the small roles like I got, real mob guys or cops who chased real mob guys, you know? Uh, and so we all had the same sides, the same scene to read. And then he would just pick, pick apart for you, right? So I, I walk in to the outer room and there's these guys with silver sweatsuits and patent leather sneakers and <laughs> cigars, you know, and the guy looks at me, go, what are you reading for? I go, I got the science for Sonny Bamboo. He goes, 
you know him? I go, no, I don't know him. He goes, I know him. You don't look nothing like him. <laughs> I says, well, that's what they gave me. He goes, well, God bless you, kid. So now I got, I got to go in and talk to Scorsese. And, you know, I was still kind of new to the business. And so my old career of making the meeting mine, you know, in, in ad sales and, and stuff was what I let to, right? So I made up a story. I walked in and I said, uh, uh, before we read, Mr. Scorsese, um, I said to my grandfather, whose name is Donato Scorsese, exact same spelling without the S. I said, you know, I'm going to read for the great director, Martin Scorsese today. And uh, my grandfather said, wow, I think so we have a cause in a one time, which take the S out of the name. Scorsese goes, really? Really? Because we can't find our relatives. And I went, oh, shit, I'm screwed now. <laughs> I said, well, where are you from? He goes, Sicily. I go, no fucking way. We're not Sicilians. He goes, what are you? I said, we're Napoli Dons. He goes, hey, you guys drink too early in the morning. You want to do this? I go, yeah, let's do it. And so we read the scene. <laughs> but that, so, so when I, you know, I got starstruck by him, I just, I went into, you know, overdrive with my previous career. <laughs> well, I've got a few uh, uh, reader slash listener questions. Uh, and one story, I don't know if you saw this on Facebook or not. Someone wanted me to ask you about your uh, broom handle balancing skills on Hollywood Squares. Oh, you know, that that's such a, that's such a silly story. I mean, somebody was <laughs> apparently in the, in the, in the, I don't even remember it. I just read it. Yes. I, I just looked at that myself. <laughs> somebody was doing some stuff juggling or, or, you know, something clever. And I just said to the producer, you know, when we come back, let me show you a skill I have. And I went down and I bounced a broom handle on my hand or my nose or something. That was it. This is what she asks. She could have asked something really personal and disgusting. <laughs> What'd you do Our, our readers have shame. Game? I'm sorry. <laughs> I was hoping for an R-rated question. <laughs> um, uh, how about the experience of doing dinosaurs? That's got to be a better story. <laughs> well, dinosaurs was great. Again, Michael Jacobs uh, produced that. Oh. Uh, it was a it was it was a wonderful job to have because it's voiceover, and Peter knows it. Voiceovers are, you know, it's great to have. And I was proud to get it because every actor in L.A. auditioned for, for Dinosaurs because it was a good job. It was a, it was a network voiceover job with the Henson Company. And, uh, and it, uh, it turned out to be the most expensive half-hour television show maybe to this day ever on television because wow. of the salaries and the animatronic puppetry and all that stuff. Yeah. So I, I, we were the voiceover people. Sally Struthers, uh, Jessica Walter, God bless her soul. Um, uh, did you ever did you ever do a voice on dinosaurs? No, no. I, you know, I, I, they, they they wanted stars. They wanted big stars. And yeah. I used to say to them, "I have a lot of talented friends that could do these voices." Oh no, 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 no. We want stars. Yeah. So we the voiceover world was in a studio for eight hours, six eight hours, whatever, and we replaced the voices of the puppeteers. My puppeteer was a little English guy. Said, Hello. You know, let's oh, let's let's go eat a dinosaur. You know, so they didn't want that. They wanted you know something like this. So uh, we replaced all of us replaced the voices of the puppeteers to try to get our voices in the mouths, uh, which is a little anti creativity. You know, creative for the for the actor, but it's the way things happen to work out. I always used to say it's a job I loved having, and I didn't hate doing it, but it was very difficult to do. But it turned out because it's being re-released re on uh, Disney Plus, people are, 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 you know, watching dinosaurs, and I, I'm very happy about it. It's a good show. It was a good yeah, show. Yeah. It was a good family show. It was yeah. a show for adults because we used we talked about subjects, you know, like uh, sexual what sexual harassment and drugs and and climate change, and the kids loved it because the puppets were cute. So, it, you know, everybody seemed to be happy about dinosaurs. And it was a beautiful set. And uh, like I said, the most expensive half-hour television show uh, at its time and maybe still, which is one of the reasons why it didn't get picked up. But it's great because the, 
because the, the, the writers had a chance to end the show with, yes, they with did. a wonderful, <laughs> yeah, with a wonderful ending when the dinosaurs died. It was very controversial at the time among the dinosaur people. Uh, but I thought it was great. I mean, uh, and a lot of parents said, how could you kill the dinosaurs? How could you, how could you do that? I said to, to myself, I not to them. I said, well, they're dead. They're not here. You know, they had to go somehow. But it was a very moving ending. And uh, you remember the ending, Will? I do, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, I thought they did a great I, The Ice job. Age arrives and so go the dinosaurs. And it was over, you know, started to snow and that's, that's it. Brunk, dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, dinosaurs were strong. Most of those guys, the writers, are now, you know, fairly successful show. Mostly all of them are very successful showrunners and writers in their own, uh, with their own careers and their own shows. Yeah, they're very bunch, talented bunch of people. I got to visit Henson Studios several years back. And I got a picture of uh, the baby. They still had a had him sitting there. Kevin Clash did a great, great job with the baby. With the baby. Yeah, there's some very, the Henson people are very, we were lucky because the Henson people usually were very pr protective of their characters. They did the voices of their characters. Yeah. But uh, luckily, maybe the word came from up high that they wanted uh, other actors. They wanted actors to do the voices uh, for which I'm very grateful. Yeah, but the Henson people, you know, Jim Henson had just died uh, and his son uh, took up, Brian Henson took over the company and the guy who was inside my dinosaur suit, Bill Beretta, became a big producer at the Henson company, you know, uh, uh, and he actually started in a movie that the Henson company did. But there's a lot of great, I always tell people, there's a lot, too many talented people out there. I'm looking at Peter Honorati and there's just too many talented <laughs> actors out there. And too few jobs. That's why I'm 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 going back into business. I'm getting my MBA, and I'm uh, I'm going to work from a calls. I don't care. <laughs> you can't work from a calls. Rosie took it over in ten. Oh, oh okay. I'm going to work from I'm going to work for Red GQ. Book. Red book. <laughs> well, Peter, you had at least one voiceover I wanted to ask you about. Someone wanted me to mention that you did the voice of Buana Beast on Justice League International. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was funny because when I was in New York, I started into voiceovers and commercial voiceovers and stuff. And the business is so different back there than it is here. You know, you um, back there, you would go into the ad agency, you would go into the production company or whatever, and you would audition in there. So you would be right next to the creative people. Here, you would come out and uh, you go into your agent's office and lay the voiceover down. And I'm like, you don't know what they want. You know, how are you going to? You know, um, so most of the stuff that I got was um, um, uh, Andrea Wolf, uh, Andrea Wolfson, Andrea um, Romano, Romano yeah. um, was a big fan, and she hired me for a lot of stuff, a lot of Batman and all the other stuff, and and uh, I think that's how I want to be, and also Charlie Adler, uh, who, who's um, quite huge in 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 you know the uh, animated world. Um, he directed a few things. So yeah, I was around for, for that stuff. Uh, um, I, all, all I really remember is I remember being Joe Chill in Batman because he's the guy that kills, you know, uh, Bat, uh, Bruce's parents, you know? And, and that episode was amazing because Adam West was in there playing the father. Um, uh, Julie Newmar was playing the mother. Um, Wow. Uh, oh my God! Everybody, everybody was there, and I'm looking around. And you talk about starstruck. I was looking around at all these people, you know. Uh, so you know, I, I think sometimes people hired me for animated characters because of the way they think I look. You know, uh, I, I mean, I think I look like a beast sometimes. <laughs> Who knows? You're a cutie. <laughs> Not always, you know, <laughs> but you know, that, yeah, I mean, the voiceover world, my son is in it now. He, uh, he got his, uh, his sack card uh, doing voices and uh, he's really talented and, uh, you know, I hope he, I hope he really dives in because it's just such a lucrative and wonderful world, but it's so closed, you know. It's incredible. I mean, you talk about Charlie Adler or, uh, yeah. or some of these other guys, Charles Schlatter and Maurice LaMarche, there's a handful, two handfuls of guys yeah. that, uh, that do it all the time. Yeah. And it's hard. 
for, and if you look online at some of these voiceover sites, you know, hire me, hire me, hire me. There are thousands of people out there trying to get voiceover jobs because it yeah. is lucrative and it's great work, but yeah. it's hard to get. You know, yeah. I mean, they go, they go for the money. They go for the guys that know what they're going to deliver. Charlie, yeah. I, I yeah. work with Charlie and I saw he played two characters and he just went, you know, he just went through the script. He probably saved them hundreds of dollars. That's that's the kind of people they go for. So it's great. Yeah. Your son is 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 kicking into that business. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully, you know, that'll spring some work for him. But he's also good on camera. I mean, he he listen, all my my three sons, I told them, look, if you want to be in the business, because, you know, my wife is a writer producer. She's been actually she Stu, did an episode of one of her shows with Suddenly Susan uh, oh. with Brooke Shields. Yeah. Um, I did that. Yeah. Jeanette, Jeanette was a, a, a co-exec or exec on that. I can't remember at the time. And uh, so I, I said, look, if you want to be in this business, please do it the way I did it. Get a degree in something that you can make a living at that you like, <laughs> just in case, you know. And uh and, you know, and, and you'll be sort of insulated, which is interesting because Jeanette is from Santa Barbara and she studied acting with Brad Dillman, who was major leading man of the late 50s. I think it was in Bus Stop with Marilyn Monroe, played St. Francis of Assisi. You know, it was and and he said to Jeanette pretty much what I lived. He said, if, if you want to be an actor, find something else that you love to do and can make a living at because you have a better chance of being an actor if you have that alongside of it you know uh, so i mean you know i i can't i mean i can't argue with that it helped me for sure but uh yeah well back to voiceovers tight as can be and and good luck <laughs> you know yeah. um another question i've been asking a lot of people um who was the first person that you work with in a project that you saw as like that's the kind of actor I want to emulate as far as like how they set the tone on the set. Oh, wow. Well, I, I can't think of anybody that, that I said, I mean, you, you look at a lot of people and they they do good work and you're, you know, and you admire what they, what they did. But as far as stars, you mean controlling a set? And, yeah. And, I mean, just and, like, and, the, like, like you saw them do something that really just struck you as well. That's how I want to, that's how I think it should be done. No, no, but I remember when I, I, I worked with Rick Moranis and he said there's a big responsibility being not number one on the call sheet. Yeah. You yes. know? And I, I know what you're saying that people control. I don't remember. Well, I'm jumping around here. Like Peter knows when you're a guest spot on, on star on shows with stars, yeah. you're you're for lack of a better phrase, second class citizen. I mean, if you're you're really lucky if people are, are, are nice to you. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I used to go in, try to keep my head down, do the job, you know, and the stars would, con you know, control control the set. But I can't remember looking at any of those stars as a as a guy that, you know, John Ritter, John Ritter. Uh, uh, John was was uh, he he drove those sets that he was on. I mean, he, he was smart. He was funny. Uh not that I could do, you know, I couldn't look at John and said, I can't, you know, I, I can't do that kind of stuff. But he he made it a happy set. I mean, that's the thing that you, you that you really, if I ever get the, 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 uh, the chance again to, to be number one and number two in the goal sheet, I, my, my goal is to be nice to the people, you know, under me. That, that's my goal because I've been there. I mean, I, I, this is silly. I was an extra on, ne on a movie called Next Drop, Greenwich Village. And it oh, was yeah. a dining room scene. And these people were, the first thing I, you know, with movie on, I saw, oh, they filmed that person one way. Oh, that's interesting. And then they film it and they do the same scene. They, 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 you know, and the camera's pointing at different people. I don't understand why, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I said to myself, well, that's very interesting. Years later, I was in a movie in which I was, you know, toward the top. And sitting around a table with a bunch of extras around me, I started to cry because it was like, I remember what it was like to be an extra watching, you know, stars do their thing. And now I'm in a position to be the one of the leads and do my thing. And it was it was very emotional. I mean, I yeah, that's you know, that's it. So my object in life, if I ever get the chance again, I probably won't because I'm like I said, I'm going into business. I'm going to. Uh, I'm just want to make sure that I'm 
kind to people, you know, who work with me, especially those who come in quickly and leave quickly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Guest stars are hired guns. You know, yeah. you just hit your mark, find the light, collect your check, go home. And if you're like Stuart and, and sometimes me, um, the director may know you and you you deliver what he wants for his purposes and he'll say, hey, you want to do one for you? And that's that's just a wonderful, you know, gracious thing to hear because it sort of honors your time in the business and all that stuff. For me, I, I, you know, you know, of course, movies and, and TV are different. Really, what you're talking about is mostly TV, like Stuart says, when you're number one on the call sheet, you know, that's a big responsibility. And the tone of the set comes down from you. And um, honestly, um, I, I just did an episode of The Rookie last year. Uh, you were great. I saw that. You were great. Thank you, Stuart. It was a, it was a great role and 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 i i will tell you that of the maybe three number ones that i've ever been involved with nathan fillion is the best wow. the most gracious the uh, where it was during covid so we had we had to be on opposite ends of the trailer with our masks on we're in the hair trailer right and um he comes down from his side and he says, do you remember me? I go, yeah, yeah, of course I remember you. <laughs> we did, um, um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Castle, together, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He said, oh, you, I said, yeah. I said, and I, I remember you because you actually liked Cop Rock, you know? And, and <laughs> so we had a laugh. He went back to his side. I left and I went into um, the makeup trailer and I got all my makeup done. And then I went back to my trailer. So this is maybe 20 minutes, half an hour later. There's a gift bag in my trailer with one of those incredible like Wi-Fi little speakers. <laughs> and the most gorgeous note about working with somebody twice that he's doing something right if he's lucky enough to work with somebody like this twice. I went, holy shit, man. That is way beyond, you know, and it was so honest and so uncalled for and so wonderful, you know, on the other end of it, I'll, I'll give you another example of somebody who is totally disconnected, but a good, a really good number one. And that's Shamar Moore, you know, uh, Shamar, it, Shamar runs, uh, you know, the, the, the studio when he was our, our first couple of months on SWAT. He used to put everybody's name, all the crew's name in a hat. And he'd pick out three names and he'd get out at lunchtime and he'd take a football and throw it up as high as he could. And one of those people, if they caught the ball, they get 50 bucks. And he'd throw it up again and they could roll it over. I mean, he knew how to keep the set, you know, at a certain level, you know. But he's a completely different guy. He's completely involved in his brand and who he is, which I totally understand. Nathan, on the other hand, is really genuine, you know. But both of them, terrific number one. Well, first of all, John Ritter, the bastard, never gave me a gift bag. <laughs> but, and second of all, it's interesting because sometimes there used to be, this was years ago, but, but the, the talk on the sets were the, an extra, the extras will like you or not like you. And the, and the criteria is if you talk to them, if you, if you acknowledge them, you're, yeah. then you're a nice guy. If you're standoffish, then you're not a nice guy. But yeah. you got to understand that also uh, that sometimes actors, whether it's the guest person or the star, sometimes needs their space. So you can't you can't always be, you know, bubbly, brilliant yeah. person. You know, yeah. you, you need to do the work. I don't know if that's the way with with Shamar yeah. is, but but yeah. uh, you know, there, there are any number of actors that I've worked with that they're off in the corner just trying to do the work. Right. And I admire that, you know, yeah. I, you know, there are some people that are, you know, Mel Brooks, you know, Mel Brooks will, you know, he'll, he'll engage with anybody. Yes. But there are certain actors that, that won't. And that's okay. You know, yeah. you just can't be unkind to somebody. You can't, you can't right. be negative. Right. So you it's, can it's both. Too, like yeah. Peter says, it's both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And, and again, you know, and, and it's not that, you know, it's not that Shamar was disconnected in any way. It's just that no. he, he was cognizant of what, 
the environment needed. And, and that I, I give them a lot of credit for, you know, and like you said, you know, I mean, there's certain actors, I, there's a couple guys who were number one on a call sheet when I guest starred and uh, they were like yelling at themselves and doing this and doing it. I'm like, wow, man. Uh, and then they come up to me like, and have a conversation They go, Hey, thanks for doing the show. I said, Hey, um, you know, I was number one a couple of times on the call sheet too. It doesn't have to be this hard, <laughs> you know, you, you, you could do this, you know, you, you got this, you know, and they're like, yeah, okay, sure. And they walk away, you know? Um, so, you know, I learned my lesson too about who not to engage with and who was putting on what they were, were putting on, you know, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I still feel, you know, after so many years in the business, I, I still feel new at it, you know, so, which is uh, actually a good thing when you walk it's on it. It's great. Yeah, because you know what? You can, wh wh when you feel new or uneducated, you tend to listen a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, you and, and man, that's what our craft is about. First of all, listening. And then when you get to the business side of it, listening is really important you get it you get a director who knows you and you come on as a guest star you know and they say uh, you know you want to do another one I, and i'll say to them did you get what you want they said yeah and i said fuck it let's go Let, let's move on then you know because they have they have what they have to get you know and and, and you know that's that's an important thing too to give give everything that you have man that's the first thing i learned after coming from you know, college football into the, into the pros getting cut and all that stuff and, you know, wanting to fight and never give up. The one thing I learned about acting was to give shit up, you know, give it up because it's all bigger than you. You know, I don't care if you're number one or 25, it's really all bigger than you, you know? And, and the work in the work is, is actually the important thing. I mean, a lot yeah. of Maybe there's some young people coming up and they're just looking for the for the cars and the pools and the you know the big houses. But the, the fact is, if you come from well, my background was theater, and and, and Peter's background was a, was a strange yet wonderful you know journey that he took. But the work has always been important. I mean, I, if I ever got in yelled at or in trouble on a set, it was always because of the work. It wasn't because I wanted a bigger trailer. It wasn't because <laughs> I wanted more finger food at craft service. It was because of the work. And uh, because that's that's the important thing, whether it's on stage or whether it's on on screen. Uh, and so, you know, you, 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 you there are things that you can maybe give up if you're number one. But to be really pedantic, there's a philosopher called Sansupri who said perfection is achieved not when there is nothing more to add, but when there is nothing more to take away. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that means, but I just thought I'd say it. Yeah, but it's nice. It could make a nice t-shirt. <laughs> no, but you know, you, you work and you work and you, and you, you know, sometimes you put stuff in and you, you put stuff in and you, and then, you know, and that's why, you, you know, actors, I rely on directors in a certain way. Certain television, it's a director's medium. Theater, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an actor's medium, but you have to rely on directors in some way uh, to, to tell you either more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Ellen Burstyn before. Ellen Ellen's a friend of the family. And, oh and, wow! Yeah, and and because um, Jeanette and her writing partner Mimi used to do plays at Ellen's house on the Hudson, and I met Ellen when I got into the actor's studio. You know, so Ellen was here for Thanksgiving dinner years and years and years ago, and it was one of those times where I was kind of in between stuff, and I got this call to do four episodes on Walker, Texas Ranger, which to some people like the agents and whoever else, no, that's not, that's a career move. That's, you know, what do you want to do? Soaps? What do you know? No, you shouldn't. And, and it was really, you know, befuddling to me. And so we're, we're, Ellen's at dinner here. And I said, you know, I, I my agents are telling me not to do this thing. It's like, you know, uh, and she said, you like the character? I said, yeah, I really love, I love the character. She goes, it's about the work. And I went and did it, and it was probably even, even including my own shows, it was probably the most wonderful experience 
I've had in my career. Chuck Norris comes up to me and he goes, I really like your work, man. Anything you want to do, you know, if you want to change some lines, it's, I went, Chuck, really? <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and so I said to him, I said, okay, look, you guys are all doing martial arts and stuff. I said, I'm trained in martial arts, but this guy's a New York cop who comes to Texas. He's, a, you know, fish out of water. I said, how about you, you know, you just choreograph some street fighting for me. And the stunt coordinator went, oh, God, thank you. Oh, my God. Because he, he got to create all this new shit, you know. And all this, it was such a wonderful, wonderful set. And, 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 you know, and to me, and, I, you know, if I listened to my agents like, oh, no, you're not going there yet, uh, I wouldn't have done it. You know, I have a friend, maybe you know him, uh, George Weiner. You know the actor George Weiner? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful man. Terrific actor. And he was doing a show, which I won't name, that was not one of the top. It was one of those, oh, you're not going to do that show. Yeah. And somebody came up to him apparently and said, George, why are you doing this, 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 this TV trick? And George said, excuse me, there's nobody that's going to tell me what I have to do or don't do to feed my family. I'm an actor. I will do what I need to do yeah. to exist in this business because you know and no if you get a job that's the orgasm man you know that's to get the job yeah. is the orgasm to do the job is yeah. is like whipped cream yeah. like, you know, to, tell, to tell an actor look yeah. i've turned down things that were i, I thought were take, not in good taste i regret everyone because it would have been a paycheck and nobody would remember the damn thing yeah. but nobody's <laughs> going to tell me or anybody else uh, or Peter, because he's very strong and he could hurt you, <laughs> to tell him what to do and what not to do. I mean, an actor's job is to work. We're not critics, as one of my teachers said. We're not critics. Right. We're right. actors. Our job is to do, get the job. If you like it, you know, great. If you don't like it, you work hard to make it good, to, to, yeah. to like it. I yeah. mean, in New York, in the theater, sometimes you audition for stuff. You get the job, you show up, and you talk to the other people in the company. says, what's this about? Because you don't know. You yeah. get a side, you get a page of dialogue. Nobody knows, but the work you needed yeah. to work. It's yeah. not easy to get a job in that. There's 95% unemployment. And 2% of those people make a living at it. So, yeah. you know, you're not going to tell anybody. You're not going to tell me right now, don't do this. No, yeah. I'm going to sick Peter on him. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> well, I think, I think, you know, even in our, our, our most dead moments, it's about creativity. I mean, that's why... That's why the old joke in the 40s and 50s about everybody uh, um, pumping gas was also an actor out here. Now every actor has a script, you know? I mean, that's the joke has evolved to that because, I mean, that's what we're here to do. We're here to create. So, I mean, I've done that, you know, in my spare time. I'll start writing or doing this or doing that. But this this thing that we have in us to create something has, you know, doesn't have any judgment about the outlet for that creativity because we're still doing our work the way we always did you know yeah. you know i wonder what the hour mark i'll start wrapping up here but uh peter i did want to ask you just about the experience of working on uh this is us you know it was great to have this is us along with swat because yeah. swat was that thing that you know, if you ever did want to become an actor when you were a kid, you know, and shoot guns and run around and fight and do all that stuff, it was perfect. But This Is Us was a wonderful opportunity for me to do what I was just talking about, to create a character, you know, that was um, a paradox. You know, people say when, you know, and Stu knows this, like if you play a bad guy, you you play a good guy, you know, I, I have people who not in the business and in the business who say, oh, I can't believe, you know, you, you're like that. And I go, no, 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 no. This guy doesn't know that he's a bad guy. And, 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 and I would constantly tell these people in, uh, on This Is Us, directors or other people that would say, oh my God, look what you did. And I said, listen, <laughs> my, my father raised me in the 50s and 60s. Everything that this guy does with his kids, except drinking and abusing, yeah. was what my father did. That's the way people were raised back then. You cannot look at this through the prism of, you know, 2020. Yeah. This was my father used to take me on estimates. My father was a stonemason in a little construction company. 
he'd stand me and I'd stand on the front seat of that car for an hour while he did an estimate or something. And, and I did that same scene and this is us and people are going, that's horrible. How could you do something like that? He go, what are you kidding me? It's 1954, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so, so for this is us, that was the thing for me. That was such a wonderful challenge. It, you know, it wasn't a money job. It, it's not going to get me in a house in Italy. Like if I had done another couple seasons of SWAT, but it was one of the best things I've ever had to attack, you know, on a creative level to make to make sure that this guy was coming from an honest place and that people read him as being, you know, the way he was written. But he didn't think that of himself, you know. Yeah, yeah bad, bad, bad people. I mean, actors who play bad guys who know they're bad. It's it's. It's yeah. transparent. It's not a yeah. good thing to watch. Yeah. But I have to add also that I'm very grateful to This Is Us because they they used a clip from Dinosaurs. They asked oh. me if I they could use a clip from Dinosaurs. And oh. I said, please. So yeah. I got a house in Italy because of that. Oh, good for you. Well, I'm coming no, over. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's my sure. thing. All right, go ahead. Well, that's my thing. I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I have a little house in Santa Barbara. I want to get the hell out of LA and I want to take a little house in Italy and uh, and have you guys come over. I'll be there, baby. My wife, my wife's family is from Italy. They're all from Italy. Where's she from? Do you know? Joya is uh, where her family came from in the South. Oh, it's in the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They so had an Italian restaurant in Long Island for 90 years. Wow. 90 years. Wow. They're wonderful people. They're wonderful people. They were frightening. They threatened me all the time, but they were yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that's all right. Well, you're from Philly. What the hell? <laughs> they didn't like you. They never liked me. <laughs> oh, geez. Go ahead. We'll ask you a question, and then yeah. I'm going to I'm just ask you about the experience of working on uh, Hollywood Nights, because that was a, a cable staple in the early 80s. Wow. How, well, the interesting thing about Hollywood Nights was that it was shot in one night. So it was all night shooting, which I'd never done before. Oh. You know, you, you, go, you go to work at 7 in the, in the evening. You work till three or four, you go home, you try to sleep, you're back the next night. You know, that, that, was, the, that was the interesting thing. And it had a lot of nice, beautiful women. And, in, and people like Michelle Pfeiffer was one of her early, early uh, uh, roles. Nobody knew who she was. Uh, a lot of great cars, old cars. Was, yeah, you're right. It's sort of a, it's sort of an, uh, a purient, off-color, fun, you know, teen movie. Talk about tits and ass. It was uh, that kind of stuff. It was fine, you know. There, there's nothing you can ask me that wasn't fine. It's like Peter. He seems like he's the happiest contemporary. Everything in show business is fine. It's just fine, you know. It's a great. It's a great job. It's a great. Uh, it's a. I'm not gonna say honor because there, there's no honor in it, but it's a privilege to be able to do, like Peter said, what you love to do, and uh, and if you can give yourself, you know. Uh, if you feel creative and you give yourself, you know, points for being creative and can be happy on the set, you know, it's a great job. It's much better than laying bricks or, or you know, or all well, the stonemasons are great. I'm not saying that I'm not, there's nothing against stonemasons, but I'm saying my friend, the director used to say, well, you work hard. And he says, I don't work hard. You know, laying tarmac is hard. You know, moving, moving bales of hay is hard. I don't, this isn't work. This is, you know, and that's kind of the way I feel about acting. Not that you don't work hard, but it's a different kind of work. You know, I, yeah. I rarely, you know, I rarely broke a, a sweat lifting up a script. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. The closing question for both of you. Uh, what would you say is your favorite project you've worked on over the years that didn't get the love you thought it deserved? Peter? So. Wow. I did this little movie um, called Shelter with the. Uh, Charles Durning, uh, Kurtwood Smith, um, Costas Mandalore and I played brothers, Greek mobsters. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a, a, a great little movie. And the only reason I loved doing it and thought something else would happen was because it was something that actors at my level don't get to do. I spoke Greek. I did the whole movie speaking English with a Greek accent. It was just... You know, actors at my level don't don't get to do accents and maladies like you know Dustin Hoffman. You know, mm. we're you know we're guest stars. You know, and and uh, and and that to me was, you know, one of my greatest achievements. 
really, you know, and, sure. you know, and it, and it bounced around, it did a little cable thing here and there, but I think, you know, with a bigger budget or something, it might've been something, uh, you know, it was a, a, a very wonderful piece and, you know, working with Kurtwood and, and Charles Durning, I mean, there's somebody, there's somebody who has a life story, man. Oh God, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I understudied Charlie in the in the park, Shakespeare in the park. Oh yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was just fabulous to watch him work. You know, I, I was into, better, but he was good. You know how he got into the business? I don't know. So uh, if you have a minute, I'll tell you. Sure. Yeah. So so he was he was working on a slag heap in in Western Pennsylvania, living in a boarding house. He got pissed off with that. He didn't like it. So he went to Syracuse and he was sweeping floors in a vaudeville um, house. There was a stand-up comic at this vaudeville house who killed all the time. He was great, but he was a real asshole. Everybody, the owner of the theater, hated his guts. One time, this guy didn't show up. Charlie walked up to the owner of the theater and said, I can do his stuff. He did the guy's whole routine <laughs> on stage and killed. He went into the army. He came out. He went, and the GI Bill, he went and studied, and boom, he became an actor. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> of course, after he was dug out from, you know, he's got how many silver stars and medals and all this. He's yeah. decorated, you know. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <He's right>. like, <laughs> you know? Stuart, do you have a favorite project that didn't get the love you thought it deserved? Uh, I have a project that I love doing and didn't deserve to get any love, but it was the most fun I've ever had on a set. It was, it was filmed, it was called One Dozen. It was about a bunch of us in a jury room. And George Weiner was in it. So I think it's the first time I met George. Uh, uh, there's a lot of wonderful actors in it, but we had the most fun on that set than, than I've ever had anywhere. Uh, it was it was video. I mean, it was like a handheld video thing. It was uh, not the greatest thing in the world, but and it didn't like I said didn't deserve much love. But <laughs> it, 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 I look back on it as being the, the the most fun time I've ever had on a set. It wasn't even a set. It was it was a warehouse someplace. But yeah, that's it. No, I mean everything you know I've done either it comes and goes. <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily news or dinosaurs that. Uh, had uh, had gone on longer, I wouldn't have minded that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, no, I'm just happy with that. Dinosaurs was on This Is Us. That's the only thing that matters. To me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I appreciate you guys being willing to do this, and I'm glad you guys have a history that made it uh, a lot of fun chemistry here. Yeah. Well, someday, someday, Peter Anarati. All right. We're gonna Friday we're night. gonna we're gonna press the flesh. All right. All right, Friday night. Come over Friday night. <laughs> get joy. And come I don't over. get out of the house anymore. Come on, <laughs> my wife won't, won't let me. All right, we'll get, we'll get there. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Yeah. You guys have a good evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Peter. Thank you.